The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live, everyone. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, and we are streaming live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. Thank you for everyone watching the live stream. You could also watch the live stream on SoxMachine.com. We also have it on Periscope. So if you follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh, you could watch it on Twitter. Or if you are on Twitch, uh, you could watch it on Twitch as well. Uh, not a lot of people do, but that's fine. We're, we're, we're testing new waters here. And for those that missed out on the live stream, you're listening to the audio version of this show on our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. But it is Thursday night, July 15th, 2021, as we are streaming this episode of Sox Machine Live. And uh, it's the All-Star break. The White Sox had some representatives in Denver for the All-Star game as the American League won 5-2. Liam Hendricks got the save. We'll talk about that. Lance Lynn appeared. We'll talk about that. Carlos Rodon didn't appear in the game. We'll talk about that. And we'll, we'll also talk about Tim Anderson not getting... And at bat, uh, and we'll look at the first series to kick off the post-All-Star part of the 2021 season as the Houston Astros come into town. But the first story, and it is the biggest story in baseball right now, there was supposed to be a game tonight in New York between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. I know that gets everyone really thrilled around the country uh, when those two teams play and they take up all the attention. Uh, However, that game has been postponed because of COVID. And it's a little bit weird to still say that games, especially Major League Baseball, are getting postponed because of COVID. Uh, But that is the case. There are at least three New York Yankee players that have tested positive. Uh, According to General Manager Brian Cashman of the New York Yankees, most everyone that has tested positive for the Yankees has been vaccinated. 
However, the Boston Red Sox uh, told media, and we have this tweet from Marla Rivera of ESPN, uh, which I'll pop up here during the stream. Uh, She tweeted, all the Boston Red Sox all-stars who were in Denver have been asked to undergo additional testing today because they were told that one of the New York Yankees all-stars has tested positive for COVID. Jim, that is not what you want to hear if you are Major League Baseball after what I thought was a pretty successful all-star game and home run derby. Very entertaining. Uh, The Major League Baseball draft had fans in attendance, which made it exciting, especially in the first round. And of course, the Futures game is always fun to watch. I felt it was a good all-star break for Major League Baseball as it was the first all-star break since 2019. But boy, if this all-star game causes a COVID outbreak across the league, uh, what do you think the ramifications could possibly be? Well, it's, I think, in a very based on team-to-team vaccination rates per team. There are different protocols for a team based on whether they've hit that 85%. Uh, It is a little bit, you know, I guess baseball being a microcosm of America, it is kind of like what's going on right now with just the variants taking hold some areas, some hot spots of uh, less vaccinated areas, starting to have some outbreaks, especially among younger people. So it's, uh, you know, there's very much a... um, I almost want to call her a renaissance, which is not really you know, how you want to phrase it for the virus. But just, you know, it, it's coming back as there's basically a revival of it in certain pockets. And so it makes some sense that baseball would not be immune from that. So uh, it's just something where, um, you know, if the players got vaccinated, um, there are benefits, you know, both in terms of protocol team has to follow, but also just the chance that if they do get a vaccination and it is a breakthrough case, uh, their chances of a severe case, a case requiring you know, or you know, having long-term effects requiring hospitalization is a lot lower. So there are benefits to that as well. So hopefully, you know, this doesn't dissuade uh, the current vaccination effort. I, I imagine like right now, given how months have passed between vaccination starting and, um, you know, players getting them that the ones who wanted to get one have gotten one and the ones who haven't basically have whatever reasons they have for not getting one. But, you know, hopefully, um, you know, the, among the public that's still having the debate that this doesn't muddy the waters too much because there were going to be breakthrough cases, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is the most popular, I think for baseball players because the one shot and, you know, not having two shots to have, uh, potentially take them out of the lineup with side effects. Um, you know, did have a lower efficacy rate. So, you know, there are going to be more breakthrough rates with it. So I think it's going to take some, uh, you're going to have to listen to experts basically and just kind of uh, wait for people who know better to uh, <laughs> tell how serious it is and, and whether or not uh, baseball is doing the right thing. That's kind of how I am right now because this is all uncharted territory. Um, you yeah, know, this is the, the first summer post-vaccine, and I think there's still a lot of ramifications still be worked out. It's just, it would be really unfortunate, Jim, if Liam Hendricks and Lance Lynn and Carlos Herdon and Tim Anderson all end up on this COVID IL list, which I still think it's seven days, right? And they can come off if they test negative. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember if that is still the existing process for Major League Baseball. I think so. I can't remember exactly... 
what the vaccination, uh, whether a player having a vaccination, what a team having 85%, how that changes. It changes a little bit, but I still think like in terms of, you know, active cases, I still think the, the need to test negative probably twice within a 24 hour period is still required to get back on the field. Yeah. It'd just be disappointed. Very disappointing if they weren't available for this upcoming weekend because they went to Denver. They shared a locker room with the New York Yankee, which it hasn't made, but it hasn't been made public yet, but you got your choice of three players uh, from the New York Yankees that were on the American league all-star team uh, that has tested positive. And boy, if there are more positive cases for the American league teams, you also mm-hmm. had reporters too on the field. So everyone that you saw on television and all baseball baseball reporters are on the field, they probably should go get tested immediately uh, to make sure that they are not positive uh, with COVID, which obviously impacts their ability to do the job, as many of them were probably expecting to return to the ballparks this upcoming weekend. But that's the big story right now. We'll see how many games the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees play this weekend. Boy, the, the Yankees... This is like the last thing that they needed. They enter the second half of the season fourth place. They need to make up ground on the first place Boston Red Sox. They're on the center stage. Everybody was ready, Jim, to watch baseball again. And today's like now the first day since the pandemic hit in 2020 that we don't have any sports on. It is officially the slowest day of the calendar year when it comes to all sports. There is no games on tonight. So way to go, New York Yankees. (laughs) That's what uh, the league gets for putting the Red Sox and Yankees on as if uh, the country wants to watch that. (laughs) The country wants (laughs) it to be their only baseball option. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move over to the White Sox and the activity that we did see from the All-Star game. And Lanson got an inning in and he struck out a batter and he looked good. Uh, Liam Hendricks got the save. And I kind of want to ask you about that because Liam Hendricks was mic'd up. Mm -hmm. And... It's both genius to mic up Liam Hendricks and also a terrible idea uh, because we catch him cursing all the time (laughs) during the home broadcast, especially uh, when he's trying to close out games and he throws a pitch that doesn't go his way or he spikes a pitch and he drops an F-bomb. And sure enough, he dropped an F-bomb during the All-Star game because he didn't think the microphone was working because he couldn't hear anyone while he was pitching. What did you think about Liam Hendricks being mic'd during the All-Star game? It kind of reminded me of like walking through the supermarket or some kind of just ordinary uh, store and you see some marketing for a product that is can be read in a very filthy way if you're of the mind to do so and you realize that the person behind that idea was either a 20-year-old guy or a 75-year-old woman. <laughs> Probably very little in between for you know who's you know, who didn't catch that or who tried to sneak that by because they thought it was funny. Um, that's kind of what it came to mind for, uh, for Hendricks is just like somebody giving him the mic had to know and somebody thought, well, it's going to be late. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, the it's end after of the game. 10 o'clock. Yeah. He's It'll not going to be pitching the third inning. So let's see if we can, you know, get some, uh, you know, social media action on this. Uh, I, I don't know, like, you know, whether the higher ups, you know, I remember the whole, 
you know, various Super Bowls, all the FCC complaints come in. I don't know if the All-Star Game gets that kind of focus among people who are willing to write the government to complain about things, but <laughs> I think Hendrix was, uh, the audio was crisp and clear enough uh, to where, you know, it probably would if there was an audience of that mind to write it. But yeah, it was, yeah, I, I thought Lance Lynn would have been the funnier one to Mike just because he seems like he curses in full sentences, like coming off the mound or coming, like he's, uh, if you passed him on the streets, you might think he's like grumbling to himself or ranting about like some, somebody nobody else can see in the room. Like that's just kind of the, uh, the, the, the mode that he gets in, uh, to where that's just, uh, he's, he's seeing things, <laughs> kind of his anger. Uh, Hendrix is more of an ordinary Jake PV-esque. Um, I didn't like the way that went, uh, simple curses. So I think Linz would have been more interesting to know just because he strings together words. It requires more lip reading, more, uh, detective work to piece together what he said. Um, so it's unfortunate he didn't get it, Mike. I think if I had to pick between the two of them, I would have picked Lynn. I was hoping that Tim Anderson would be miked because he's done it in the past. Uh, I remember the series last year uh, when they were in Cincinnati and that was great uh, to hear Tim Anderson in the field. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more that the major league baseball can make Tim Anderson, one of the faces of the league, the better in my opinion for, for all parties involved, you know, watching the, being a white Sox fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as a White Sox fan, for Tim Anderson, and for the game of baseball, uh, especially. But I want to ask you about Carlos Renan not pitching at all, and Tim Anderson only playing defense. Are you miffed as a White Sox fan that you didn't get a chance to see more of Anderson or Rodon in this game? More of Anderson, yes, I'm miffed. Rodon seemed... There's usually always one pitcher who doesn't get in, and based on what people were saying, uh, and, and you know, I didn't hear it myself from Kevin Casher during the broadcast, but uh, yeah, I looked it up just to see if I could find a single source, and there are enough people of different, you know, not in the same Twitter circle saying the same thing that uh, I guess Taylor Rogers is, yeah, was told that he was like the last one, or like Hendricks is the last one, or that, um, you know, that. There was nobody behind them. And so I took that to mean that Rodon either asked out or was the one kept out. And given that he's a starter and given that he's, this is an unprecedented season for him, both in terms of success and, um, well, I, it's really unprecedented in terms of that, but it's also, it's been a while since he's been this healthy as well, that I can see him being the one to want to take it easy, that the nod is enough, but with everything else going on with him, you know, trying to, drive the White Sox to a division title with him trying to you know, get a Cy Young finish with him trying to get paid, which he's a free agent at the end of the year. You know, I used to worry about that too. His health has been touch and go enough over the years that I think, you know, any unnecessary risk that he can mitigate and, you know, being that he's a pitcher, you know, there are a lot of risks that he has to take. It makes sense that, you know, he's, this is the one that he, uh, you know, might avoid, especially since I'm thinking too of his past short, appearances out of the bullpen basically i think every other one has been really ugly so he just might be someone who's not comfortable pitching one inning at a time or doesn't feel the need to you know maybe he's somebody who just feels like he needs to settle into a start um you have the margin for error for multiple innings even if he doesn't use it most of the time this year uh but i'm just thinking last year with rick Hunteria managing him and trying to find some role for him that didn't work out maybe there's a little bit of uh you know just light trauma for uh, the experience of coming out of the bullpen. 
I agree with Carlos Rodon. The White Sox need Carlos Rodon to be healthy. And if he skips out on this All-Star game, which I understand, it's his first All-Star game, it would mean a lot if he did get if he did make an appearance or if he started the All-Star game. But I think everybody knew Shohei Otani was going to start the All-Star game as the American League starting pitcher and also DH. It, it, this was the Shohei Otani All-Star game. And then Vlad mm-hmm. Guerrero Jr. stole <laughs> stole the spotlight, winning the MVP with his monster home run. And uh, we talked about Peter Alonso on the Sox Machine podcast on Monday. We both had a good feeling that he could win. Uh, my guy, Matt Olson, just didn't make it through the first round. That last fly ball went foul. But I did put money on Peter Alonso, so I'm still happy that Alonso won. But it was definitely the Shohei Otani all-star game in Denver. It, it just would have been nice if, you know, having four White Sox players there that we got an opportunity to see Tim Anderson hit. Uh, Xander Bogarts had three at-bats. Uh, Bo Bichette got at a bat. I get it. You only have four at-bats, and Xander Bogarts is the one that got voted in to be the all-star starter. So I I understand why Bogarts got the, the bulk of the at-bats. It still would have been nice that Tim Anderson... Uh, would have had that opportunity, but hopefully uh, this isn't his only all-star game, mm-hmm. uh, his only opportunity to appear in an all-star game, and uh, he'll be able to start the next one, as next year it is in Los Angeles for the all-star game uh, at Dodger Stadium, which would be pretty cool. That that one's going to be really media heavy, so fingers crossed Tim Anderson and more White Sox players uh, join him to represent the all-star team. It does sound like that they may keep those uniforms, Jim. Woof. Yeah. I do not like them. They did not look good when they were wearing them. It didn't look good in the mock-up. It did not look good on television. So not even in 4K. <laughs> I like I like the two-button Henley look. I thought that hmm. was interesting, but everything else about it can yeah, go. go away. Design something better, Nike. Uh, during the All-Star break, though, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred had his State of the Union type of speech that he typically does during the All-Star break. I think there are a couple key things that came out of his press conference. One, Major League Baseball is not bluffing to the city of Oakland. Uh, there are multiple reports coming out of the Bay Area that after the vote in Oakland, whether or not they will approve the Howard Terminal Project, the Oakland Athletics Leadership Board, including their owner, are planning to fly to Las Vegas. And Rob Manfred talked Las Vegas up as a viable Major League Baseball market. So just be prepared. If you haven't been to the Oakland Coliseum to see a game yet, and you want to visit every stadium, you might want to do it soon. It's fun. But the other <laughs> the other part, because uh, I, I do think Oakland's going to be moving to Vegas, especially after that press conference from Rob Manfred. Uh, the, the other part with Rob Manfred is that he touched on possible reversal of the COVID rules. And two in particular, we have seen the seven-inning doubleheader and the runner on second base to start extra innings. And it was interesting to me at the time when when it was being reported live from the press conference that Rob Manfred is being so public about these rule changes because I thought that he was in favor of them. And then, at least from my perspective, these have to be collectively bargained, though. Like, the players have to approve Mm -hmm. to reverse these rule changes. And I I, I guess that's a good place to start. So we're going to play a little yay or nay 
uh, after Rob Manfred brought that up. So let's start with the seven inning double headers as the White Sox have one coming up uh, after the weekend, the one for sure scheduled on Monday against the Minnesota Twins where they'll play two seven inning games. After seeing the seven inning double headers for the last couple of seasons, Jim, uh, yay or nay, the league getting rid of them? Uh, yay for the league getting rid of them. Uh, I am a fan of it for this season because the White Sox middle relief is so poor that I like the idea of a starter going five or six innings, then handing the ball off to the closer. I, I think the innings being that are effectively getting gotten rid of with the flow of the game are the ones that most benefit the White Sox. So I don't like seeing that go when, uh, you know, maybe the White Sox benefit from uh, that arrangement later on when, you know, nine innings and having a, a stacked bullpen, but that time is not now. So the seven inning double headers have been good for the White Sox, but it just, it feels odd and incomplete and it almost feels a bit like cheating and uh, not like the, I guess when you talk about like competitive integrity, which right now has a lot of overlap with gambling for, uh, you know, integrity competition and ma- maintaining like a, a good, uh, uh, you know, set of standards for people putting serious money on it, but it just strikes me and just the big picture of it all, just having, you know, say if you have some kind of weather event, hurricane, um, just something that disrupts the schedule to where you have a ton of double headers on the schedule. It, it feels like just a, a real edge for certain teams to have just seven inning double header one after another, or if they have like, you know, multiple in a month that if it's a team like the White Sox with strong starting pitching and a suspect bullpen, except for the closer, who's great. Um, that basically sets up well for them. And I don't think that's really, um, it's a little bit weird. So it, it disrupts the flow of the season. I like them for the minors. Uh, I just went to see one in Bowling Green and it's nice to go to a double header and know that you're going to see every position player you want to see over the course of those two games. So thumbs up for that. But I think for major league baseball with the emphasis it puts on the record books and uh, the, the grueling uh, nature of the schedule that it makes sense to have all games, nine innings if possible. I have a feeling this one's going to stay. I, I've, I've got I've got a sense this the players and the managers may want this one to stay for the reasons that you mentioned. But it's less money. It's less money for the gate, though. Is it less money for the gate? Less. I guess know. it depends on how the teams are going to be handling. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I don't like about them, too, is that like I don't like the idea of split seven inning doubleheaders. That's. That's yeah. Uh, dis- uh, basically, you're getting a discount in, in baseball, but not a discount in price. So I think that's what you know, maybe a, a yeah, big rip off. They need to be back yeah. to back. If it's yeah. a straight double header, seven innings, then I kind of get it. At least that's more fan friendly. So I can see that being where the fans benefit. Maybe the league benefits enough or enough parties in the league benefit to keep it. But when you have split seven inning double headers, that's just a rip off. It, it is. So I'm with you. They no split seven inning double headers, but back to back seven inning games. I can see that. I can see the players' association wanting to keep it because it does save on the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see on that one. That one I have a feeling could stick around. This one, even though I like it, I don't think is going to stick around. And that is the extra inning rule runner on second base. Uh, the start of the 10th inning, yay or nay, Jim? Uh, I would like to see it go. It's weird to me still. It feels 
not like baseball. It feels gimmicky to me. Like it hasn't set in. I think it makes sense in the minors when it's player development and you want to avoid a situation like Todd Steverson when he had to basically give up on a game and get suspended by the California League for a year because he didn't want multiple position players pitching. But it's it, it feels like a, just a, a really abrupt way to end a game. And when you're talking about uh, situations in September and should extra inning records decide it, just, you know, being a, a team that maybe didn't bunt well or just got the wrong assortment of three ground outs and lost because <laughs> the pitcher did the job. That feels like a weird way to end the game. I was looking it up because I remember reading it somewhere. It was Craig Calcaterra's uh, cup of coffee newsletter. He, he followed up on the, on the Manfred uh, conversation. And he said that Manfred sounded more likely to get rid of seven inning double headers than the runner on second. It sounds like the runner on second could be held up for negotiations uh, with the players, but he sounded more pessimistic or, or more down on the idea of keeping seven innings beyond this year. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at it from a player's perspective and manager because I watching the broadcast and the pregame show, they were talking about the rule changes and Passon did mention there are many managers and players in the game that like the seven inning double headers. So, well, I'm sure that'll be a negotiation <laughs> point. They get paid for the same amount. That's, yeah, exactly. That's where Less they make work. the same money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I understand why they like it. I get it. Working I, smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last one. And I think this definitely needs to be negotiated between the league and the union. And that's universal DH. We, we know that this is going to be a discussion in the next CBA. Yay or nay, Jim? Is it time to have a universal DH in the league? It's long been time, but it's also long been my stance that I enjoy two leagues having different rules. It's so dumb the way it happened, and it's so nonsensical that if you were starting a league from the ground up right now, you'd never think of doing it. But it just happened by complete accident. No other sport has it. No other sport, I think, has a... I forget, something came up uh, where somebody mentioned, I think maybe in soccer, where there's something kind of similar... Uh, but it's escaped my memory. So, but in terms of just like major American sports, uh, major American sports leagues, that there's nothing uh, like having one league where both teams are given the same weight as champion, but both play under <laughs> such a rule that uh, changes the way the game is played and the way the game is managed and the way rosters are built and they're called equal. And I just, I'm, I don't expect it to stay. I think it makes way too much sense to go universal DH all the way around. Uh, and, it's, and it's been that way for years. I just, I'm enjoying it while it lasts because it's, I enjoy watching White Sox pitchers hit. I enjoy Dylan Cease coming out of nowhere to throw down three hits. Like those are the kind of games where I, I don't count on them happening and I don't think it's a reason to keep it, but I just enjoy the weird things that happen because of this rule why they, while they pop up. And I'm not in any rush to see it go. And because the White Sox already have DH and play DH most of the games, like I don't see, it's really, it doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> I think it's more for fans of the National League. Like if we were uh, like a Brewers podcast and we were talking about this, I think we'd do you know, place a lot more emphasis on it. Who do you keep? Uh, are you redundant the minors or do you have a guy you can make room for that you didn't have room for before? Like that's the kind of conversations mm -hmm. you can have. But for, you know, the, the White Sox who have, you know, had now like four or five DHs on the 40-man roster at any one point, like there's always room to play them if they're good enough. So it doesn't really change anything we really talk about. 
Well, I think for the Milwaukee Brewers, Ryan Braun would have probably been their DH if they had a DH in 2021. Instead, he's like in this quasi-retirement stage. I think this is a... the taxi squad. That should be his job. Just to be... That's, that's an expensive guy. Yeah. That's an expensive guy in the taxi squad. Uh it's going to be interesting because Jacob deGrom has been hitting so well for the New York Mets. And of course, Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani may lead the American League this year in home runs while making a bunch of starts because he is a, a two-way player. I just don't think it's enough of a case to keep pitchers hitting in the National League with DeGrom and Otani because everyone oh. else is not much of a hitter in the National League. I think League. with Otani, though, they could probably adjust the rules so he would be a DH in the lineup. So after he's done pitching, he could still hit. And I, I think, isn't that the way the Angels are doing this now? Or they're putting him into right field after he pitches. So he's still in the field. But maybe there needs to be an adjustment. So that way, if teams want to go with this two-way type of stance that... If you replace the DH in your lineup, you don't lose the DH. I'm cool with that. There are some other gimmicks. Like if you pull your starting pitcher, some people have advocated, well, then you lose your DH. I think that's just stupid. Uh, Because the last thing that I want to see is relievers hit. Because the way that teams are constructing their 26-man rosters, there's just not enough bench players (laughs) to cover Mm -hmm. all those pinch hitting opportunities late in games. And if you go back to having no runner on second base uh, for extra innings, uh, you could have like roster exhaustion real quick uh, during the regular season, which is what I think a lot of teams in baseball want to avoid because that really escalates the opportunity for injuries to occur for your team, especially if you are in the middle of a nine game road trip where you don't have an off day for, you know, another week. Uh, so I, I think these are the three rules I am paying attention to when it comes to the CBA negotiations. I'm expecting some type of adjustment. Again, I like the seven inning doubleheader. I like the runner on second base in the regular season because let's get a move on. It's a 162 game season. It's a long season. Should these rules be in place in the postseason? Heck no. No, <laughs> they should not decide postseason games. But I understand your point, Jim, because come October 2nd, if you have a tie in the National League West uh, between the Dodgers and the Padres or maybe the Giants and the Dodgers, and it's decided because of the extra inning runner on second and one of those three teams executes while another team does it and they end up winning the West, that's going to have mm-hmm. huge ramifications in the National League postseason. So I, I can understand getting rid of the runner on second. I, I'd like to see the seven inning doubleheader stay, but the universal DH is the one rule that I think definitely needs to get implemented, especially after this season. Uh, to avoid any additional opportunities for pitchers to get themselves hurt uh, and also well, give more job the, opportunities the runner, too in the National League. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking with the runner on second, it seems like you could have a case where maybe you implement that like from the 12th inning on. So you have like a couple innings of regulation play where it's real baseball, it's, you know, just bases are clear, but then maybe to invoke the concerns, you know, about you know, player safety and not having guys worn out or thrust Mm -hmm. in unfamiliar positions that maybe from the 12th inning on, that's a case where this is not, this is more dangerous than it is. And I'm cool with that. Even though I am 
be, being a sicko, <laughs> enjoy those uh, 14, 15, 16 inning games for the weirdness they provide. I, I like just baseball being, it's, nobody would design it the way it's designed now. And, and I guess that makes me sound like a traditionalist, but I just, I enjoy the weird things about it while it happened. You know, some things maybe get phased out, but I'm just in no rush to see him go. Yeah, I, I like the 12th inning idea because with a 26-man roster and how, especially with the bullpen, even though like the three batter minimum is supposed to encourage uh, not having specialty roles, it still feels like the guys that you developed have specialty roles in your bullpen. I, I just feel like the 12th inning is a good idea because I think that's when your roster gets really thin. And your bench is getting low and you're running out of arms in the bullpen because you don't want to throw guys because you want to give them an off day and go to somebody else uh, tomorrow. I like the 12th inning idea. We'll see if baseball sticks with it. I mean, hey, hockey, you know, they got the three on three overtime. People like that. And they have the shootout. And there's a lot of hockey fans that don't like the shootout. Uh, is they don't want to have ties in hockey anymore. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. I didn't mind the ties, but I'm not like a diehard hockey fan. Maybe there's something that baseball could possibly borrow from the National Hockey League, which I never thought I would ever say, because uh, <laughs> I think baseball's a better-ran league than the National Hockey League. But these are the three big rules that are definitely going to be discussed after this season and will be collectively bargained with the Players Association, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, the seven inning double headers and the runner on second, if you do not like these rules, there might be a light at the, at the end of the tunnel for you guys. And you may see these rules go away. And uh, I'm hoping during these negotiations, they find a way to have the universal DH for all of Major League Baseball. We have a I breaking, get what you're... We have breaking news in the comments. Uh, Uh-oh. That, uh, the Braves have acquired Jock Peterson from the Cubs. Shut up. Let me go ahead and uh, post that into the video here. Uh, well, the okay, so the Braves had to make a move, right? Uh, because of a terrible injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Eric Cronin, thank you so much, much man, for uh, being on Twitter and posting that into us. And uh, wow, never mind. I'm just looking at the comments now. Joseph, Hamzi, yeah. Brian... Thank you guys uh, for posting that in the comments section as uh, for those that are on the podcast. Now you're getting our live reaction. So there you go. That's the first domino uh, for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we are expecting them to be sellers. We'll see how much or how many of the players that general manager Jed Hoyer can move before the end of the month. That was a pretty big story. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk mostly about the White Sox, but with the all-star game and the all-star break, that was a big story in Chicago today, Jim, Uh, especially from Chris Bryant's dad that he called Joe Buck classless asking Chris Bryant during the middle of the game. uh, How is he handling the the trade rumors? Uh, This is something that Cubs players are going to have to deal with until the end of the month. There are opportunities for the White Sox. I think Chris Bryant and Craig Kimbrell could be good additions for the White Sox. Uh, in a possible trade, but you know, Jock Peterson being the first domino. What a what an interesting dichotomy here because Adamine, uh, that's also other transaction news. Earlier today, the Los Angeles Angels signed Adamine and to a major league contract. So Adamine's gonna be roaming the Angels outfield. So he goes from the White Sox straight into another major league job uh, with the Angels who are above five hundred and and trying to make you know, make hay in the American League West and try to catch Oakland and Houston 
in that division. But boy, if you go back in this offseason, when Adam Bean signed and the Jock Peterson signed, and tell ourselves, by the way, Adam, you're going to get DFA'd, and then you're eventually going to sign for league minimum with the Angels. And Jock, you're going to get traded in July thinking that this is an opportunity to stay in Chicago for a while. And you're getting traded to Atlanta. I wonder what they would say. Yeah, I was a... I was for the White Sox signing Peterson. I thought he was somebody like, I, w- I was thinking like maybe the position player equivalent of Kenta Maeda, where he was a victim of just the Dodgers insane depth and being buried and limited. And not, not that he was going to hit lefties any better. I thought he was going to be like a righty masher, but just, you know, having more room to fail and thus succeed, just more room to you know play his game. But he was basically cold, then hot, then cold for the Cubs. So Ending in the same territory as Eaton, but more rosterable. It just really hasn't made much of a difference. And I think for that whole right fielder class, the 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 the, cla- the, the outfielders you'd want to see playing right field, that doesn't count. Michael Brantley or Kyle Schwarber, who are different. Um, there really isn't a winning play there right now when it comes to free agency. Still a couple months left. I think, you know, Peterson being more rosterable uh, was part of the reason. Like, I thought Eaton would just have the biggest chance of anybody of just whether being hurt, whether being ineffective or ineffective because he was hurt, just not lasting the season, whereas other guys could. So that was the reason I didn't want Eaton. But I don't think there are any difference makers right now. I think if Peterson were on the White Sox, they'd be looking to improve upon him or augment him somehow, maybe not replace him entirely, but find another bet to maybe help him out or be able to take over if they want to play the hot hand. Uh, just really no difference makers above them, which... Uh, is only disappointing in the sense that I was pro Peterson, so I don't like being wrong, and I feel like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you never know what would happen if he were on the White Sox, but at least based on the evidence we have, um, just he hasn't, you know, twenty twenty was a wash for him too, so twenty twenty one being disappointing, like maybe he's just not an impact player anymore, and he's going to be kind of floating around. Well, right now he's in a first division team or trying to be, but second division starter from here on out. Well, that is the first domino, though. There was a lot of rumors that we could see activity picked up after the All-Star game, and that's the first move. And it's not a necessity for the Atlanta Braves, especially with Ronald Acuna Jr. missing the rest of the season with a torn ACL and possibly missing the beginning of the 2022 season. The Atlanta Braves, still in the thick of things in the National League East, are hoping that Jock Peterson can replace some of the power production lost by Ronald Acuna Jr. I, there's nobody in this trade market that would help Atlanta recover completely from the Ronald Acuna Jr. injury. But the Braves make the first move and the Cubs make the first uh, move in selling. And sounds like that will not be their only trade before July 31st. For the White Sox, we are expecting them to add before July 31st. So we'll always keep an eye during the trade grapevine and Listen for any whispers or rumors or whoever is writing as far as possibilities for the White Sox to go after to help with the bullpen or in second base or possibly another bat in the outfield. But the White Sox are starting the second half of the season at home as the Houston Astros come to visit Jim. And this is a big series, at least in my opinion, to start off the second half and in these next two weeks to get a better idea of what the White Sox need to reinforce 
their roster. Uh, the good news is, is that Aloy Jimenez uh, is looking good. He's already with the Charlotte Knights. He's playing in AAA. Uh, maybe not getting the most positive results that he was having with the Winston-Salem Dash, but uh, Dave Lazat, who is the play-by-play announcer for the Gwinnett Stripers, is a former cl- college classmate of mine. I texted him, and hmm. you know, from a from a non-White Sox perspective, he said that Aloy looks healthy and looks like he could be ready soon, which is uh, great news. And our man down in Charlotte, uh, Jonathan, has been interviewing Aloy and posting videos and doing excellent work down there. So we really appreciated Jonathan to get us the inside scoop of what's going on with Aloy in Charlotte. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. But this Houston series, again, we talked about the bullpen on Monday, Jim, be, maybe being the most concerning position group the White Sox need to address first. Mm-hmm. And the way that Houston beat up the White Sox pitchers in Houston, I've got a feeling that this problem could resurface again. Mm -hmm. What are you expecting out of this series to see for the second time with the White Sox and Astros facing against each other? I would hope that that was a little bit of an aberration, like you're not saying that the White Sox should or could win the series, but just looking as overmatched. I think that was um, something where just hopefully a bad weekend, you know, adjusting from beating up bums to playing really good teams, maybe being caught off guard a little bit, or just, um, just for whatever reason, one way or another, not getting up for it. Uh, That shouldn't be the case this time coming off the all-star break, knowing what they know from the previous series. 
It's a big series, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a big series in terms of what they're trying to do with the division right now. I mean, it might be a big series depending on what Cleveland does, but I think a lot of these series, uh, based on, you know, if you're talking, looking at it purely through the lens of playoff probability, like it's only a big series insofar as like the, you know, Cleveland makes it that mm-hmm. by, by, you know, getting more involved in it themselves. If Cleveland is also losing two out of three, then series just by definition, don't become that big. I think it would be maybe uh, a big series. I'm thinking of it later on. Should October roll around? Should the White Sox make it into October? And should they play Houston for a series? It would be, I think, supremely annoying uh, for everybody involved to hear that, uh, you know, how the Astros took, uh, you know, seven games and that the White Sox just have something where they can't beat them. And uh, I'm thinking like, you know, how we heard that a little bit with the, Oakland series uh, with the White Sox that uh, the Coliseum is a tough place for the White Sox mm-hmm. to play. And, you know, I don't think it was the Coliseum's fault the way that came unraveled, but uh, just, you know, that added to it. And I'm thinking also of the Twins postseason fortune, especially when they play the Yankees. Uh, I enjoy it uh, from an as an outsider hearing uh, the Twins being made fun of for not being able to beat the Yankees. But that would be coming back to uh, where, the, where the White Sox would have to contend with those questions should the Astros be on the schedule. So I think just taking that narrative off the table, even if they lose two out of three, just making more of a series of it um, and, and looking like more evenly matched, I think would just put that at ease and make it uh, more or less just... Uh, a note for stat packs <laughs> before the uh, series and not necessarily something broadcasts are going to be harping on over the course of uh, games. Well, let's look at the pitching problems for the Chicago White Sox as it looks like it's going to be Lance McCullers. I'll be starting the Friday game and Jake Odorizzi is going to be starting the Saturday game for the Houston Astros for Friday. It's going to be Dylan Cease for the White Sox. He'll be making the first start post all-star break for the White Sox. That game is going to be at 7, 10 p.m. Central time. Pay attention to the weather on Friday. There is rain coming in the area as a cold front is entering uh, Chicagoland. Uh, so pay attention to the forecast and see if this game actually gets played Friday night as there is, again, rain expected coming through the area during the afternoon. We'll see if it sticks around for the evening. Saturday, July 17th, this is a national broadcast on Fox. It is a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Lucas Giolito on the mound. And then on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Carlos Rodon. And hopefully everything checks out uh, post the All-Star game, as we talked about at the beginning part of this show, uh, the outbreak right now that's involving the New York Yankees and one of their players at the All-Star game testing positive and and hopefully none of the White Sox all-stars are are possibly impacted. And with the 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 problem pitchers Jim as far as this setup coming post all-star break because Tony La Russa can reshuffle the rotation however he likes it. Uh are you surprised it is Dylan Cease getting the start on Friday? A little bit just because I, I looked up the updated numbers because they shift to based on team records, but against teams with a 500 or better record, Cease is one and three with a 7.52 ERA, 16 walks and 26 innings. Like they've made him work. So he's not the guy I'd really want to see going to the mound against a good opponent to set a tone, but I also can see the 
uh, logic and well Cease got a full all-star break off Rodon did not Rodon even if, though he didn't pitch like he still traveled he still wasn't normal for him so he's getting back Lance Lynn given how hard he's worked you want to give him I think the most rest as possible especially since he did pitch an inning so it's either Cease or Keuchel or you know Giolito stepping in and yeah you know, at that point I guess it doesn't matter but uh yeah just it's I think a good chance for Cease to prove himself that he's more than a bump slayer. And uh, if he isn't, I still think there's, you know, use in this roster. If he comes back and, uh, you know, the next losing team he faces, he uh, dominates. I think he can make a lot of, uh, uh, you can make that work for you over the course of the second half. I'm not going to worry about that too much, but it would be a nice opportunity and a nice way to, I guess, make it easier to look forward to see starts if he's able to throw a solid five or six. And then with Lance Lynn, he's never done well against the Houston Astros. I I don't want to think that LaRusa's purposely dodging Lynn against the Astros, but it makes sense mm-hmm. if he is. Uh, and having Lynn make one of the starts against the Minnesota Twins, uh, which is the next home series after this upcoming weekend. Remember that Monday game. Uh, Monday is a uh, seven-inning doubleheader uh, between the White Sox and Twins as they make up for one of the games that got rained out in Chicago. Uh, a few weeks ago, and and Dallas Keuchel will also be making one of those starts uh, against the Minnesota Twins. But it, it was just interesting to me because I don't think this is how the White Sox would set up their postseason rotation if the playoffs were to start tomorrow. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. it still would be Rodon and Lynn leading as far as the starts in games one and two. Giolito would start game three. And I'm curious to know on who would start game four if uh, La Russa wanted to go four deep in the opening round, uh, the divisional series or in a seven-game series, who he has more confidence in between Dylan Cease or Dallas Keuchel. Because uh, it seems like Keuchel's on a short leash uh, with La Russa. So uh, it's something to pay attention to in the second half of this season. And, and that's kind of where I wanted to end as far as this episode of Sox Machine Live because – There will be more questions and there might be even more news uh, as far as trades that could involve the Chicago White Sox Uh, through the weekend. We will be recapping that via podcast form on the next Sox Machine podcast, which will be released on Monday as we recap the Houston Astros series. And of course, always go to SoxMachine.com because if there's any breaking news, we'll report it there as well. Uh, but for the second half of this season, and I thought that you wrote a very good column on SoxMachine.com recapping the first half of the season, Jim, and what was critical to the White Sox success and the reason why there are eight games ahead of Cleveland despite all these position player injuries is that the injuries have not impacted the White Sox starting pitching. And that is a blessing in many ways. And they have been performing very well. Is the White Sox starting pitching still critical to the White Sox overall success as we go into the second half of the season? Or is there another attribute that Mm -hmm. you think is more critical than the White Sox starters? As far as the White Sox ability to maybe not just win the American League Central, but maybe clinch home field advantage through the postseason. I think it's how the team is built uh, is around starting pitching, especially with Maybe you didn't think that before the season with Rodon and Cease being such question marks, but the way they've pitched so far, Rodon is a number one type. Cease is a number four or five, but a very good number four or five, like you're happy with him there. Um, that's a case now where I think, you know, three months, four months into the season, you're looking at it saying this team is a starting pitching team. That's basically like the the, the 
Cleveland rotation, what that team, what that did for their team, the White Sox rotation does for their team. I think it's right now based on what we know and who's not going to be healthy for a while that it's still important for that rotation to stay healthy and deliver starts. However, I think it's incumbent on, you know, say like uh, the position players who can get healthy, like Eloy Jimenez, to get back and help out. I think it's uh, important for the bullpen, you know, whether it's Michael Kopech being there more, being a bigger part of things, being like a permanent part of plans, or Garrett Crochet being able to take more on or making a trade that helps out the relief core. But either way, like having a sixth and seventh inning uh, or I should say maybe guy or guys, you know, a couple guys you feel comfortable about going to earlier or going to, uh, you know, in, in order to give a starter a lighter start if you can afford to do so. Like, not, you know, I guess fewer 110, 120 pitch starts in that range just because uh, that doesn't seem to play well in October. Um, so right. I would like to see, you know, there'd be some form of stress relief for, the starters to avoid that kind of workload. So it's still important for the starting pitching to stand up because uh, right now just the team, that's the way the team is built. And I think they are performing well enough to where the standards are such that they think they should be able to carry that load. But there are ways to improve the other areas of the team without bringing anybody back or like bringing anybody in. Um, so hopefully, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, maybe in a week or two, and Jimenez is back, hopefully, as the primary DH, that that uh, alleviates a lot of the uh, dire need for help against uh, right-handed pitching if he's back to what he was. And uh, same thing with the uh, bullpen. I think it's going to come from the outside. But just you know, having yeah. another arm there to be able to uh, you know not have it be entirely... Uh, based on Michael Kopech's arm and or hamstrings <laughs> cooperating to have a bullpen you feel good about. The, my critical success for the second half is position player health because in order for me to build more confidence in this team to win the American League pennant, not winning the American League Central, I think the White Sox are in a great position right now, as is to win the American League Central despite the devastating injuries they've had on the position player front. But if Aloy Jimenez returns and Luis Robert returns and Yasmani Grandal returns for a minor knee surgery, even though there's nothing minor about surgery ever, but if they can come back and in September we finally see this team at full strength offensively, and it's a more dynamic offense in the month of September than we've seen in the previous months, Jim, I think for me that will give myself far more confidence in believing this team could win the American League pennant and reach the World Series in 2021. Because at this moment, I still think they need help. Like they are receiving, you know, karma. They've gotten some bad. They've gotten some bad karma with the position player injuries. But they're also getting some good karma because of the way that Gavin Sheets has hit and Jake Berger and you Mercedes in the month of April and Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton contributing. I mean, these guys weren't even close to our radar and who we thought would contribute to the 2021 Chicago White Sox. And they are. And Jake they Lamb, that's, that's, that's another one. Uh, we were hopeful for Adam Engel and Adam Engel, like we spoke about on Monday, has got five home runs and 13 games played. 
Uh, so hopefully that still continues. But if Robert Jimenez and Grandal come back and this lineup is where we thought they were going to be on opening day and they're back to being that explosive offense combined with the White Sox starting pitching, I don't know how you don't have the Chicago White Sox as the favorite to win the American League pennant because they would finally have the offense to go toe-to-toe, even with the explosive offenses that Houston and Boston have. But unlike them, the White Sox are deeper in the starting rotation, and I believe that would give them the edge in the in the American League postseason, but we need to see it happen. So that's why I think the position player health is most critical to determine just how successful the White Sox are in the second half of this season. But if they lose a starting pitching to the injured list, I, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I think the one reservation I would have is that, you know, should Jimenez come back, should Robert come back, you can't still count on them being healthy the rest of the way, whether it's re-aggravating uh, an injury, whether it's getting a new injury because Jimenez, uh, you know, and both Jimenez and Robert have gotten hurt in other parts too. So that's the one reason why I would say like, that's to me more of a bonus getting them back. Uh, but in terms of what's going to get them, you know, what you can count on on July 15th being there in October, I feel like starting pitching is still the strength that, you know, based on how it showed up so far, that's the one you just have to, it requires less wish casting. And I agree with you. I just will tell you that as of right now, I'm still iffy if this team currently constructed can win the American League pennant. Yeah. But maybe, maybe my mind will change depending on how this series goes against Houston. If they return the favor to Houston and they sweep Houston this weekend at home, then yeah, I'll change my mind. Yeah, the White Sox has currently built it as can, can win the American League pennant. I just that's where my mindset is now. Like it's maybe it's bad juju, but it's like in my mind, Jim, the American League Central's clinched for the White Sox. I, I, I'm expecting them to win the American League Central, and if they don't, yeah, come back at me at this episode, White Sox fans. I jinxed him for being very optimistic that they're going to win the division. But my focus now is what can Rick Hahn and the White Sox do to improve this roster to get them ready to win the American League pennant? I, that's the next hurdle. After you win the division, it's what can you do to win the pennant? Mm-hmm. And after that is what can you do to win the World Series? And that's where my mindset is now. And I think the the biggest way that they can improve their odds is just getting healthy in the position player front. Yeah, I don't think you'd be. But I, you are right. Yeah. It is it, it. The starting pitching has to stay healthy. Yeah, I don't think you'd be uh, jinxing them just because what you're saying that the White Sox need to tool up for, uh, you know, a run into the ALCS in the World Series. Uh, that would mean that they're in October already. <laughs> they took care of business, like, and and that would help them win the Central by more or more comfortably. So you're not saying that I think you'd yeah. be jinxing them if you said, yeah, Lance Lynn can take off the entire month of August to rest up. Like that would be inviting a <laughs> jinx. Like that's a, that's a case yeah. where you, you think wins can be sacrificed, <laughs> but right now what you're advocating uh, is, is pro central, uh, you know, bolstering their chances in the central. So I, I will, uh, if anybody says you jinxed them, I will uh, fight on your behalf. Yes. Excellent. Sounds great. Thank you. At least somebody else is on this hill with me. 
All right, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live, folks. Thank you so much for watching on our YouTube stream at youtube.com slash Machine, or for those that are listening to the audio on our podcast feed, uh, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, a, a few announcements to make. One, next weekend, the Chicago White Sox are going to be in Milwaukee, and so are we. Again, we're having our tailgate on Saturday, July 24th at American Family Insurance Park. I don't think technically I said it correctly. It is AmFam Park. Uh, is what everyone's nicknaming it in Milwaukee now. Uh, But yeah, so if you're planning on going to the Saturday White Sox and Brewers game, we are co-hosting a tailgate with our friends from the 108. Uh, The parking lot opens at 3 o'clock and we'll be set up and we'll have the tailgate tents. We have a Sox Machine tailgate tent so you could easily find us in the parking lot and we'll tweet and post on Sox Machine as well where we're going to be in the uh, Brewers parking lot as far as our stadium parking lot. Uh, we'll have some burgers, some sausages, beer, non-alcoholic drinks available. So if you are planning on going uh, to that Saturday game, stop by and uh, hang out with us before the game itself. Uh, also, uh, for those that enjoy our work and want more, you can support us on patreon.com slash machine, where we have several different tiers of support, starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month, where you get exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and the website, and first opportunity to buy new Sox Machine swag. And I'm going to take that title off for those that are watching on YouTube. Jim and I are both wearing the Sox Machine hats that just came in. And uh, I got to say, I I love it. This is a nice fit. You once again crushed it, Jim. The hoodies and now the hat. This was a great swag item to add. Well, thanks to Billy for the designs and helping out and optimizing it for the embroidery, which is the first time. It's our first embroidered product. So that's... uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's uh, right now with the pre-order period, I'm running it through uh, Monday. So uh, we'll have one more reminder on the next Sox Machine podcast uh, in case uh, for anybody who's been on their own all-star breaks and not uh, <laughs> uh, not keeping up to date with the uh, Sox Machine merch situation, that will give them a, a chance to get back into it. But uh, we have about 30 pre-orders right now, so it's going pretty well. And awesome. uh, when it comes to uh, Monday, I'll put in the orders I have plus uh, a number of extra ones uh, just in case whatever reason people did not uh, get in on it. But uh, you know, pre-orders just help us to know how much to order to not get stuck with extra inventory. It's both, you know, costly and uh, <laughs> cost space in, in small offices to uh, you know, have extra inventory. So it's, we appreciate the pre-orders, even if it is a little bit of delayed gratification on your part, putting an order, then getting it weeks later. It's uh, very appreciated on our end as a small business. So that is my appeal. And uh, if you are not moved, then uh, be on the lookout for a few weeks when the extra stock shows up and you can do it that way. Well, again, to pre-order, and I highly recommend it. It's a great hat. Uh, it's the the flex fit, so it's the uh, if you know your hat size, Jim has the instructions on SoxMachine.com uh, to compare as far as the size is. I, I'm a, I'm close to a seven and a half, and I got the the large hat size, and it fits perfectly. Uh, so if you're close to that as far as the fit of cap, you'll you want the the large hat. But yeah, I I really like it. It's well made. It looks great. So Billy, okay, thank you so much for making us look good again, and uh, another great swag item, Jim. So again, 
You can go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up and be a Patreon supporter and get another opportunity or first opportunities that are new swag items. Or you can go to socksmachine.com, visit our store and pre-order our new cap. But again, that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine Live. If you are not following us on Twitter, you can do so at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Again, subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com